What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the final four is not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cameron. Uh, and we have some recruiting news um, to talk about today, Rod. Um, what's the, the, the big uh, announcement from Holloman? Well, Trayvon Holloman, or Trey Holloman, uh, 6'2 point guard, top 100 guy out of uh, Minneapolis, committed to Michigan State yesterday. And. Um, so now we've we've got the first commitment in the 22 class again. If you remember, <laughs> this time last year we had two guys in that class committed, neither of which are committed to Michigan State anymore. Uh, Enoch Boache, who's now at Arizona State, I think is where he ended up, and um, and of course Imani Bates. So that that put Michigan State back to square one in the 22 class, but. Uh, with Holloman, they've got somebody. I don't expect him to be decommitting. Um, I think he's in. And uh, from my perspective, it's a it's a big get because I really like a lot of elements about this kid. Um, again, it's it's not a perfect world. I'm I'm always a believer that you learn a lot, 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 lot more by seeing these these guys actually play in person. Um, you know, we don't even have the benefit usually of televised games. You know, to mm-hmm. to go on, you're you're relying on clips, and and the fact is, while that can help you to some extent, it can also distort things at times. But we don't have any choice. So going based on that, um, going on uh, off of the uh, the way that Michigan State has really recruited him very hard for a number of years, and Admittedly, some of what I've seen evidenced in the video that I've I've watched, uh, I like the commitment a great deal. And we expect him to be like a true point guard? Well, you know, that's interesting. Offensively, yeah. I, I think that's absolutely what he is. One of the reasons I really like him, though, if you if you do watch his clips, what should occur to you pretty early on is you will see, for my money at least, more blocked shots than you will ever have seen in your life from a 6'2 player. <laughs> it was it was enough that I started noticing it with enough frequency that I thought, man, his, his wingspan has got to be crazy. And I still haven't seen an official measurement of it, but I am I would be floored if it does not exceed his height. And just I think a lot of our listeners know this, but just in case, generally speaking, the rule of thumb is your wingspan is average for your height if it matches your height. So he's 6'2", an average wingspan would be 6'2", you know, from, from tip of one hand to tip of the other, laid, you know, straight across uh, horizontally. Um, there are guys for whom 
wingspan is in excess of their height. You see that a lot with um, big somebody like Marcus Bingham. Gabe Brown's an example of that, where it's way in excess. I think Gabe Brown is listed at six eight, and I believe his wingspan is seven feet or seven one. So that's a four or five inch plus on the plus side. You know, Bingham I think is seven two or seven three on the wingspan. I think he's listed at six ten. So again, those types of things. Why it matters, I don't expect Trey Holloman to be a shot-blocking machine at Michigan State. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but what it, it tells me, looking at him, just the eye test suggests to me he's got long, long arms. And seeing that with the frequency you see it in his, in his clips, um, I think what that's going to enable him to do is play guys who are listed bigger than he is. And that's important because that means – you can play multiple quote-unquote point guards together. And that's a big advantage. So I think defensively, he's a guy who's going to have enough versatility, and he's also just in general supposed to be a very defensive player. And one of the things I'm positive Izzo loves about him is that he's a football kid as well. Mm. And we see fewer and fewer of these over time, right? Specialization of sport. Uh, in the last 20 years has really accelerated. You know, you go back to his earliest days as coach at Michigan State, and there seemed to be a lot more frequency. You know, Mateen Cleaves obviously was a big-time recruit in both sports. Andre Hudson, people may remember, was high school quarterback. Um, I don't know. I don't think Antonio Smith ever played football, which is weird because his brothers were exceptional you know, both mm-hmm. NFL players, but he certainly could have. Um, and there were a lot of guys like that. Well, that that becomes less and less common now. Trey Holloman is an exception. He's a throwback. He he is considered to be a high major football recruit. In fact, Michigan State offered him in football, as well as some other Big Ten schools. I'm pretty sure Minnesota offered him in both. Um, as a quarterback or defensive back? Oh, defensive back. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that probably is going to translate on the defensive end too. You know, he's got some toughness about him. Um, that's going to be something that's going to, that plus what I think is going to be some real defensive versatility is absolutely going to endear him to Tom Izzo. There's, there's just no question about that. He's a, you know, this phrase that we've seen come into the Michigan State lexicon the last couple of years, uh, this OKGR kind of guy. Mm-hmm. The, the Trey Holloman seems to check all the boxes. Um, but, again, because that football background is going to do nothing but help him um, with Tom Izzo, you know. Uh, but I, that's, I like him for a lot of reasons. One of them is, as I say, it's that defensive versatility. So if you look at what Michigan State could have next year, potentially, um, I'm not going to talk about A.J. Hogard. He, you know, he may well end up. There's been some talk on the Internet over the last week or so that um, there's some suggestions that as of right now in practice, he's been running with the ones. Um, that would make some sense because he's got more familiarity with what MSU wants to run than the other two guys right now. Mm-hmm. If that if that maintains, I'm going to be surprised and I'm going to be very concerned. But let's leave that aside. Let's focus on the other three guys. 
you could, and, and I would at this point at least assume we would have next year, Tyson Walker, um, Jaden Akins, and now Trey Holloman. Mm-hmm. All of whom are capable of playing the point. Um, but the thing I like is this is a group now, all of a sudden, you look at these three guys and their defensive potential. So just start on that side of the floor. Forget about offense. And it's it's exceptional. I mean, Tyson Walker was the defensive player of the year in his conference. And he's going up a level. He's on the smaller side, so I'm not expecting that he's going to be, you know, the next Charlie Bell at Michigan State. But I do think he's going to be a plus defender. I don't think there's much doubt about that. Jaden Akins has the potential to be a lockdown guy. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I really believe that. You're talking about a kid who's 6'3", exceptionally athletic, and he's got great instinct for that side of the court. Um, and he's already shown it, even at the prep school level. He was really, really exceptional at times if you watched any of his games uh, playing for Sunrise Christian. Um, when he went over there after the fallout with Bates, uh, the uh, Bates Academy, Ipsy Prep, um, you know, Sunrise was on TV a lot. Mm-hmm. And I happened to see several of his games last winter. And every time out, what stood out is how exceptional he was defensively. And he's got learning to do and all of that. But I think Jake Nakins is going to be a really, really good defender. And again, because of his size and his athleticism, he's versatile. Jade Nakins at 6'3 can guard other point guards. He can he can also hang in there against Waynes. Uh, and now you're adding Trey Holloman, who, again, I think has that versatility to guard pretty much anybody on the perimeter that you need him to. Well, all of a sudden, you're talking about a really nice set of players on the defensive end um, at that position, all of whom are capable of playing the point on offense. Um, and because of that versatility, at least in the last two guys I mentioned, I think you can play them together. You could play Tyson Walker together with Jay Nakins. I'd be shocked if we don't see that this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you could play Tyson Walker together with Trey Holloman, potentially, and you could play Akins and Holloman together. You know, this is I, I, I'm kind of hammering on this to distinguish it from some other combinations we've seen in the past. Um, go back to when Michigan State had Kalen Lucas and Corey Lucius together. That was a little yeah. bit of a different situation because both of those guys were on the smaller side and neither of them were um, <clears throat> high-level defenders. Like they were, they were fine. They were competent, certainly, but they weren't defensive players like I think this group will be. And they weren't able to play bigger than they were. That was a small combination. And Michigan State ran those guys together some, and it was okay, but it did leave them vulnerable in some ways defensively. I, I don't think that's going to be the case with this group. So I, I really like it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned uh, <laughs> Amani Bates earlier. Well, but, well, before before we get into Amani, I think we should we should probably talk a little bit more about Trey Holloman at the offensive end. Oh, okay, yeah, go ahead because. We, we have spent most of this time talking about him on defense. Mm-hmm. If you watch his clips offensively, and I'm going to say something that will probably be controversial, and I want to make sure that I'm very clear about it, what I mean. He does remind me 
in some ways of Cassius Winston. And I'm going to, some ways is doing a lot of work. <laughs> I do not mean that he's Cassius Winston. The, the big difference between them is Cassius Winston, really from day one in high school, was a scorer. I mean, he was a guy who was always the focal point of everything for, for U of D, his, his whole career there, basically. Um, and he was a big scorer. Trey Holloman has not been a scorer in the same way that Cassius was. When I compare them, I'm talking about feel for the game, the pace that they play at, and creativity as a passer. I would actually say Trey Holloman, from what I've seen, is an even more creative passer and playmaker than Cassius was. Cassius was obvious. I mean, he's the all-time Big Ten assist leader, right? So we're talking mm-hmm. about a premier playmaker. Uh, he won two Big Ten assist titles and almost won a third. Um, obviously, he's at the high end of anybody who's ever done it in this, in this part of the country, at least. But Cassius, I didn't. I don't know what you think. I did not think he was... Um, necessarily a highlight reel, spectacular play kind of playmaker. He just made the intelligent play, thought the game a step ahead of everybody else, but it wasn't the kind of flash that, say, a Denzel Valentine had. Yeah. Or, there wasn't or Irvin much alley-oops or anything like that. Right. Or no looks, you know, no. That, that kind of stuff. Trey Holloman does a lot more of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I have not seen him enough to have a feel for what can sometimes come with that, which is, you know, more elevated turnovers. Um, I don't have a sense from, from what I've read about him, heard about him, that he's got a particular problem there. But sometimes, you know, if you think back to Denzel, especially early in his career, you know, he'd make a highlight of what, as I used to call him, Tragic Johnson. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, he'd make a spectacular, you know, three-quarter court pass to somebody for a dunk, and then the next the next possession, you know, toss one out of bounds. Mm-hmm. Um, that happens with guys who have great feel for the game but are looking to make the home run play a lot. It usually takes a while to rein those instincts in. I'll give you another example currently. Look at the Curbelo kid at Illinois this year. Yeah. Um, That kid makes flashy plays on a consistent basis, and at times you can watch him and think, this is the best playmaker I've seen in a long time. And then he'll throw three straight possessions away. You know, I expect he will get better at that the more experience he gains. I would think he'll be better in that in that way this year than he was as a freshman. Trey Holloman looks to me like he may have some of that. I don't think he's quite the Curbelo, because Curbelo is way, way high on the uh, the flash chart. Um, I don't know if Holloman's quite there, but I, what I see, I, I look at those highlights, I see a lot of no looks. I see a lot of spectacular plays, and that's great. That's exciting stuff. That gets a crowd going. That gets a team going you got to counterbalance it with, you know, what you're uh what you're doing possession to possession and make sure that you're you're giving your team the best chance to score every time they're down the court with the ball, you know, and that's usually the lesson guys like that have to learn, but but I really like him from a creativity perspective. I think he looks to have like cash and ability to get in the lane 
and finish. I've seen evidence of, of pretty good mid-lane floaters, um, which is a nice weapon for a guy like that to have. The advantage he's got over Cassius is he's also a better athlete than Cassius was. Mm-hmm. Um, the question on Holloman, as I understand it, has been deep shooting. But this past year uh, in, I believe, in EYBL, I got this stat from Paul Conondike at Spartan Mag, so I'm gonna. I, I didn't verify which season he was referring to, whether it was his high school season or or AAU this year. Um, and he played high level with Howard Pulley. It's a long-standing um, uh, EYBL Nike team out of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, he said he shot 33% from deep this year, but he's an 80% plus free throw shooter. That usually is going to add up to improvement in the three over time. It's, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it's 100% certain, but usually when guys who are struggling a little bit from deep shoot free throws that well, eventually over time that ends up resulting in a better three-point shooting uh, capacity as they gain experience. So while I'm not expecting him to be cash in that area, that's one big difference. You know, Cassius was good from three immediately and eventually became great. Um, I don't think it's going to be a weakness for Trey Holloman. But the other thing is he doesn't force it. Again, he's not – I think you've got to look at this kid and expect that he's going to come in and first and foremost be a guy who looks to get others going. He's capable of scoring. He will score himself. So we're not talking a Tum Tum Nairn scenario. But I don't know if Trey Holloman, especially early in his career, is going to be a guy that you look at to be, you know, oh, he's going to get you 12, 15 every night. Hmm. I don't think that's, I don't think that's what they're bringing him in to do. Maybe later in his career as he develops, assuming he stays, you know, four years, um, as a junior and a senior, maybe he becomes that kind of guy. But his looking at his numbers, I, I didn't check his scoring numbers from this past season, but I did see them from his junior year in high school. And um, I'm sorry, from his sophomore year in high school. And uh, he was, a I think he averaged 10.8 points per game for his high school team. And he plays for a really good high school. But that gives you an idea. This is not a guy who has always been, hey, we got you got to go get us 20, 25 a night. You know, that has not been his game, so I wouldn't expect that to be the emphasis for him, at least early on at MSU, but that's fine. Uh-huh. Because what he brings to the table, I think, is is very, very important. I love the versatility. I love the creativity. Um, and and here's the other thing. The Michigan State's done this before, so we should not pretend that, oh, Tom Izzo is, is learning lessons from other programs. He's always been enamored of having as many point guards or guys with point guard elements to their game as he can possibly have on a roster. That's I mentioned Kalen Lucas and Corey Lucius on the same team for a couple of years. That That's, what, 12, 13 years ago? Yeah. So he's done this plenty. But I think when you look at this past season, particularly look at that national championship game, Both Baylor and Gonzaga were starting multiple point guards. Baylor arguably had three of them, Mm -hmm. and Gonzaga had two with, uh, um, or or three even, I guess, with 
uh, Ayai and and um, Jalen Suggs and uh, Nembhard. I, I just can't remember if Nembhard was starting or not. But in any event, both teams were playing multiple guys who were point guards. So this is in line with the way the game continues to evolve. That you, especially in the college ranks, I think, um, the more guys that are capable. Of, of really being legitimate playmakers. Now, they got to be able to do more than that. You know, mm-hmm. if you're playing those guys, somebody's got to also score. But the more of those types of guys you've got, the better off you're likely to be in the modern college game. And it just gives you options. You can run pick and roll from varying spots on the floor with different guys and different combinations. You know, you have multiple weapons who hopefully can allow you to get penetration, get to the rim, create some havoc that way. Um, you know, you, you hope that it makes you better in transition. There's a lot of ways that it can play to your strengths if you're looking to play um, more of a movement-based game, which is the way the game has evolved. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I think that's what you're seeing. I, I also think this. I think that Tom Izzo... Uh, I would assume never, ever, ever wants to repeat last season. <laughs> so some maybe some trauma from last year. Yeah, yeah. I mean they were recruiting Holloman before that, so it's not like oh this was a reaction and they decided they had to go get a guy. But Tyson Walker was a reaction to that. Mm-hmm. You know for sure he was. Um, so I think it, yeah, it, I think Izzo's always been of that mindset um, that you can never have enough guys who can make good decisions and make plays. Uh, but yeah, it, it's you don't ever want to repeat a scenario where you're seriously wondering if you've got anybody who's capable of handling the position. And, and Michigan State is is currently constructing a roster going forward that looks like they're not going to have to worry about that in the near term. Mm-hmm. And Holloman's a big part of that. So great way to start the class, in my opinion. Okay. Um, so the other news, uh, of course, Imani Bates comes out on Twitter after um, really not a whole lot from his camp at all. Um, and then all yeah. of a sudden he drops his final four, which yeah. has uh, includes the G League, um, Oregon, um, Memphis, was the other? Memphis, and yeah. Michigan State. Yeah. What, um, what's the deal with that? Well, I think I think it's a multifaceted story. So I'll start from the Michigan State perspective. There have been rumors, and I. From what I can gather, I think it's past rumor. It happened that about two weeks ago, give or take, um, Amani reached out to Tom Izzo. And there was a phone call. There may have been multiple discussions. I can't say for certain because I don't think anybody, not anybody I've talked to, knows for certain what the exact uh, content of the, that those discussions was other than my understanding is it was um, a uh, an attempt to clear the air, make make it understood what the reason was for the decommitment. 
you know, kind of to to make sure everything was good in terms of the relationship. And I and I think it's probably fair to assume also probably getting into a discussion about the recruitment mm-hmm. and that uh, there had been sort of another shift in how Bates and those around him, which really means his dad, um, will see this unfolding. And I think um, for a variety of reasons, the answer to what's going to happen with him seems to be back where I thought it was going to be for a long time, which is that he plays in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm not claiming to be Nostradamus here. Um, I think that some things changed along the way. You know, one thing that seemed to shift it away from college at one point was the idea that, well, it turns out the NBA is going to make an exception uh, in terms of how the G League is operating and make it possible for Imani to play in that program, even though according to what had been promulgated as their their rules, he would not have been eligible from an age perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, um, There was also pretty clearly an intent to go beyond, or at least the ability, the potential, let's say, to go beyond the... Um, financial limitations that had been in place previously. So, for example, Jalen Green last year got a $500,000 deal. Then you had this overtime league come into the mix, and they'd been signing high school juniors, which is a a whole other level of stuff. (laughs) and and it's not i mean we could spend hours talking about it from a moral perspective from a development perspective i don't mean to suggest that 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 is morally reprehensible or anything we we see kids uh in other sports start essentially playing professionally if you look at sports like tennis for example 13 14 yeah. i mean they can it's so it's it's i don't mean that i just i think bass Basketball needs to be evaluated and understood as its own animal, though. But but anyway, putting all that aside, there seemed to be some suggestion that, oh, the G League is, in fact, going to be capable and willing to go beyond those parameters that seem to be in place for what they would spend. And, in fact, there are rumors that the G League offer for Jalen Duran, who's a big kid who just reclassified and committed to Memphis yesterday, or two days ago, Friday. Um, the word is he was offered more than $1 million a year to go to the G League. He turned <laughs> it down. Um, the funny, it, it, knowing that, then that was my assumption when he decommitted, that, okay, this is lining up, and I think most people assume this, this is lining up that Imani's going to get an offer that's going to be too good to turn down, which I had always, in any of our discussions, had always kept open the possibility that if the NBA really threw stupid money at this, yeah, that could win out, you know? Mm-hmm. And it looked like that was the scenario. But I think um, I think this is where the season Amani had really had an impact. 
because if, if you look at the season that he had playing for Ipsy Prep and then even this spring and summer for Bates Fundamental and AAU, he did not have a year that, that you could accurately term to be great. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he was on TV a few times, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners saw him. And, and frankly, he did not play well. He did not have a good – and I'm saying that as a person that has been a big fan of his game and, and absolutely bought into the idea that he could be a quote-unquote generational player. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and I still believe, by the way, that he has that potential. I don't think the final chapters have been written on I mean, let's remember, is still 17, right? So yeah. I don't think the final chapters have been written by any means. But it's also, you have to be accurate in this and saying, he had a rough year for him. Hmm. You know, for someone who said to be that kind of player, his shot selection was often terrible. To be frank, I think that... Um, he didn't play – let's put it this way. I had somebody on the Spartan Mag board of several weeks, might have even been a month or so ago, make the point that you could make a pretty good case that Imani Bates, as a freshman in high school, was better than Imani Bates last year, and I would not disagree with that. And it mostly comes down to the way that he played. When he won the state championship with Ipsy Lincoln as a freshman, he had a bunch of seniors around him who weren't great players. They weren't high major guys on that team, but mm-hmm. they were effective players. And he played, even though he was the leading scorer and clearly the main guy, he played within a team concept, in a, within a team concept in an effective way. That's what was lacking last year. Um, and I think that that hurt him in the eyes of people who were evaluating him. And the, the word is that Brendan Quinn, the writer for The Athletic, wrote a story, I think it was on Friday, it was either Friday or Thursday night, that though nothing's official, that the word is the offer that Amani has from the G League is for 500000 which is the same that Jalen Green got mm-hmm. last year. Um, I think that is part of why college has now re-entered the frame because with the impact of, of name, image, and likeness, NIL, I think it is not at all a stretch to suggest that he could do better and perhaps far better playing in college financially, at least for a year. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, as it stands – He's got to do two years before he's eligible for the draft because of his age. So let's say he plays college next season. He's still got another year before he's eligible for the draft. So he could split the difference. He could do a year in college and then do another year in the G League mm-hmm. before becoming out. That's a possibility. He could do two years in college. Who knows? Um, but I think NIL and, and Look, we're in a Wild West period when it comes to that. Uh, there's, we really are. We don't have federal legislation. The NCAA has essentially punted. You've got several states that have legislation that come into effect at different points, like Michigan's, for example, has been written and passed, but it doesn't apply for another year and change. I think it's the end of 22. It comes oh. into play. 
it exists, legislation exists, but it's not it's not applicable yet. Um, that doesn't mean that the schools can't use it. Everybody is playing the NIL game. The, the NCAA has essentially said, um, you know, we're going to leave it to the schools to enforce this. And so most schools, of course, are, are at least getting hints as to what their states will allow. And they're going to, I think that's what we'll see with Michigan and Michigan State is they'll, they'll even though the legislation doesn't apply yet they're still going to they're still going to basically toe that line um but you know look the the possibility for Imani Bates to exceed $500,000 in NIL earning i think is a very 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 high probability scenario <laughs> Yeah, I mean, especially from what you've already started hearing about some of the football, some of the quarterbacks coming out before Correct. they've even touched the ball. Correct. Even had spring practice. They're this is a kid. A exactly. This is a kid who's got a significant social media presence already, um, and relative to recruits normally, um, he has a very, very high visibility. Are you? I, I would say the highest of anybody in the sport right now and still just because he's been, you know, nobody else has been on the cover of sports illustrated. Nobody else has been talked about and dissected the way that he has. So, so I think all of that, you know, the NBA maybe not making the FU kind of offer that you might've thought would have happened. And that frankly, that I believe is just my opinion. I can't prove it. If he had had the kind of season I think people expected, I think he probably would have gotten that offer mm-hmm. from the G League, but he didn't. He had he had a rough go, and so he didn't get that kind of offer, and it makes this decision, you know, a lot easier. Plus, there's there's also the fact that if you're if you're looking at it from a from the perspective of what do I need to do to walk that line between development as a player and yet preserving my draft status is playing in college a safer move it might well be you know Mm -hmm. i didn't i didn't think the g league really operated to expose the guys who played in it last year in part because of the way they're doing it they're really sheltering those kids it's not like they've got a team and they play a full g league schedule against 25 year old men yeah no but there's still that. They did have a good showing in the draft, though. I, a little better than I, I anticipated. It was um, okay. It was okay. I mean, look, Jalen Green thinks that the reason he wasn't the number one pick, so I've read, is that he played in the G League rather than college. That Cade mm-hmm. Cunningham got the benefit of playing in college and having people actually see him play. Um, you can never prove these things, but yeah, right. I think I think they did well. Um, I don't think it, but I don't think you can say it enhanced anybody because no. the, the guys at the top were always considered to be likely to be the guys at the top, mm-hmm. you know. Um, where did Isaiah Todd go? He went in the second round, right? Yeah, yeah. And there and were guys who I don't think... think got picked. So, you know, it was okay. I don't think it – my, my read, and, and obviously reasonable minds can differ, my read is that the first year of the G League's impact was, you know, neutral. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look, But we're going to find some things out starting next year, right? That's where the rubber could hit the road. If Jalen Green and um, 
some of the other guys come in and really hit the ground running compared to a lot of the college guys who are picked in the same area as they were, well, then maybe you you start to have the makings of an argument, right? Mm-hmm. We're just not going to know until I think we see how they fare in the NBA and and then be able to make the case, well, this, this year in the G League's program seems to have accelerated their readiness, you know. Um, but getting back to Amani, so that's the landscape. It's from what I'm reading and hearing, I think the G League isn't going to happen. So we're really talking about Memphis, Oregon, Michigan State. Um, and Memphis makes sense with Penny. Um, but what is up with Oregon? Uh, I mean, Jason uh, – Terry went there. Um, yeah, I, look, Oregon seems what, to – How do they keep yeah. working their way over here? <laughs> well, I mean, Nike – is a big is a big part of is a big part of that you know they're 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 going to have Oregon has clearly leveraged that connection in recent years in, in a way that's been very beneficial to them and they've they've managed to do well recruiting you know they've also got a commitment from another guy in the 22 class Dior Johnson who was a highly rated kid um, out of California who originally committed to and he's no, no upstate New York. I'm sorry. He originally committed to Syracuse and then decommitted. And now he's committed to Oregon. Who the hell knows where he'll end up? But um, I don't think it's a Michigan thing per se with Oregon. I think it's just they can get involved in some of these kinds of situations, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's not too surprising. And I think I don't think Oregon is very likely here. You know, the problem that Oregon has, and and let me tell you something, if Oregon, with all the Nike connection and all that stuff, if they were playing in the Eastern time zone, for as successful as they've been in football and basketball, they would be, in my opinion, they'd probably be multiplied, uh, you know, by multiplicities better Mm -hmm. than they are even now. I think what handicaps them, what hurts them, is that they're in the Pacific time zone and exposure is just not the same as it is with Eastern or Midwestern schools. It just isn't. Mm-hmm. And and I think that does serve as something of a limiter. You know, if you're UCLA, it, it doesn't really matter as much because you're always going to do well in Southern California and there's so much talent there and, and you're a national name, a historical name, blah, blah, blah. But I think for Oregon that can sometimes be a limiter. So I'd be surprised if it were Oregon for him. I think most people seem to feel that, you know, Michigan State, you would you would always, I suppose, give a shot because they had him committed at one point. He was the home, you know, he's a home state kid. Uh, he's got relationships with guys on the team currently, Gabe Brown most prominently. Um but I think the the feeling seems to be Memphis is most likely right now. And and that's for a couple of reasons. I think one is I mentioned Jalen Duran, who has actually passed him in many uh recruiting um systems as the number one kid in the country. Jalen Duran is a for those who don't know, is a six nine, six ten power forward slash center out of Philadelphia. A lot of people have saddled with Chris Weber comparisons. 
I get it from a physical perspective, but I have to tell you, I watched, I saw him play on television. I think three times this spring because he, he liked like Sunrise Christian, his school. Um, uh, I think he played at Mont, Mont Verde. I think um, he played for one of the other powers, and I never saw him produce a whole hell of a lot. It, and it, he's a great prospect. I get all of that, but when people start tossing around Chris Weber, I think they forget what Chris Weber was. I saw Chris Chris Weber play at Detroit Country Day. Chris Weber was a dominant presence in every single game he played at that level. He was a monster. And I didn't see the same thing when I watched Jalen Duran. But anyway, that's beside the point. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure he'll be very good at Memphis. Uh, Just the Weber stuff, I think, devalues Chris Weber a little bit. Uh, but he's already there. He and Amani have forged a friendship. Amani actually played a tournament with him, with his team final team, uh, this summer. So there's a relationship there, and I think there's been a lot of talk that this is how it would go. Um, for a long time, Duran was uh, considered likely to end up at Miami. Well, Miami wasn't involved with Amani, but when he committed to Memphis, that's the one school they had in common, you know, you, you got to consider it. And then there's, you know, there's Penny. And look, the on-court results at Memphis have not been great. Yeah. I mean, they, they just have not been. One thing he hasn't had trouble doing is recruiting. He's landed a lot of guys. He just hasn't done as much with them on the court as you might have thought would have occurred. Now, an interesting element is his staff. He has just hired Larry Brown as an assistant. <laughs> so you've got Larry wow. Brown, who, in my estimation, is probably one of the ten greatest basketball coaches at all levels to ever do it. Mm. Um, I, I'm, I am really, I, I think Larry Brown is great as a coach. I think you question some of the ethics stuff when he's been in college. He's he's certainly walked the line. Um. But, you know, a lot of that stuff doesn't matter anymore, right? So, mm-hmm. But as a, as a pure basketball coach, I think he's a borderline genius. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also rumors, I don't think this means much for Imani's recruitment, but there are strong rumors that uh, Rasheed Wallace is going to be joining that staff too. So it'll be very interesting on the Memphis sidelines regardless. One other thing I heard and again, I can't speak to the veracity of it, but if you look at Memphis's roster, you can almost see it. There is a rumor out there that Penny has been pitching the idea of Amani playing point guard for Memphis. They don't have; they've got a lot of talent on that on that team right now. Um, they've got some very very highly ranked guys. What they don't have is a point guard. They got a lot of forwards and centers and wings. They don't have a point guard. Um, I don't think Amani. I, I think Amani Bates has a really good handle for a guy his size. I think he is a capable passer, um, but he has not been asked to play in that way. And I would not be optimistic about what would happen if that was the case, if they handed the point guard reins to him. But I also I look at it and at least. At least on the surface, I thought, boy, I could almost see them pitching that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so we will see. I think the the 
Amani has officially reclassified. So that bit's out of the, which I always thought was going to happen. That bit's out of the way. Um, now it's just a matter of where he goes. If you're a Michigan State fan, I don't think you should be um, holding out a lot of hope that this happens. And that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. And again, I say that as someone who is a big fan of still of what this kid can be. But he's got to get some things straightened out. Hmm. That's There's no question about that. He had a year that puts him in a position that now there are legitimate questions about what he will be going forward. And, and it mostly has to do with mindset and the way that he plays. It's not about talent. Amani Bates is still a guy capable of draining a 25-footer with a hand in his face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at any time. He's still 6'9", with a great handle. He has great instincts for the game. He can penetrate. He can finish. There's a lot, lot, lot to like. But there's also, I hate to use the word exposed, but and I don't really think it's that. I think it's that he's got to figure out what he wants to be and how he needs to play how he needs to use the tremendous, tremendous gifts that he has to make himself the best player possible and to make his teams as good as possible. The fact of the matter is, and this is maybe the most damning thing for him right now, his teams haven't done a hell of a lot of winning in the last year. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a kid who was winning, winning, winning all the time. His team won a state championship in high school as a freshman. They played up in EYBL and were competitive. They weren't winning all the time, but they were competitive playing guys a year older, typically. Um, His sophomore year at Lincoln, they were very good and I think would have had a great chance to win a second state title. Um, Since then, it is not – his teams haven't done very much winning. Ipsy Prep did not do very much winning. Mm -hmm. Um, Bates Fundamentals and and EYBL did not do very much winning. That's not all on him, but a lot of it is, or at least that's the perception. Um. One other thing I want to say is if he goes elsewhere, you should not, meaning MSU fans, our listeners, I don't think should interpret that. I got a better way to put this. I don't think, I'm 100% convinced of this, that NIL will not be a reason that Michigan State does not get Imani Bates. You know, people will talk, well, Oregon's got Nike money, and Memphis has federal, you know, has FedEx. Um, <laughs> that's all true. But Michigan State, I don't believe Michigan State would lose a betting war to either of those schools. Mm-hmm. Michigan State is arguably in a better position when it comes to being able to marshal resources from its from its boosters than at any time in its history. And most listeners will know exactly what I'm talking about, but it's not just the guys who are in the mortgage business. Mm-hmm. You have Magic Johnson, you have a Draymond Green, you have a host of boosters that people don't even know who these who these folks are unless they look carefully at names that are attached to buildings and practice facilities around campus, <laughs> and then you might figure it out. Um, I think if Tom Ezzo said, I want him, and we can get them if we put X on the table, it would happen. Mm. That's probably the simplest way I can put it. 
I'm not convinced that Tom Mizzou is going to call in that kind of financial strike. And I think I think that you know it, and I, I have I have no idea for sure on this, but again, a lot's changed in the last nine months. And I think if you were Michigan State, you've got to look at okay, what kind of disruption would happen? Are we going to be better off as a team with Amani? And Izzo's a guy who historically loves challenges, but he's also, in fairness, never been a guy who just was casting his lot in trying to get the, the best, most talented guy every, every year. Mm-hmm. That's also not the way he approaches things. He He cares and believes that a team is the most important thing and how that functions, and that's a sensitive thing. And you know, if you brought Amani in, let's let's call it brass tacks. If you brought Amani in, you would assume he's coming in to start, right? Yeah. So that means one of Gabe Brown or Max Christie isn't starting. Okay. How does that play? You know, I, yeah, I don't that's know. a tough that's a tough uh, conversation. <laughs> right. I don't know. I don't know. And and keep in mind, though, you know. Gabe's been around for three years, and Max Christie's been here since May. Mm-hmm. So that's the other thing. You're adding Imani. He, you know, he's got to make a decision in the next handful of weeks, the next two, three weeks. Basically, by the end of August, he, he has to decide because all three schools are back in session by then. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of that's the other thing is when you're talking about a kid that I think if it's going to work, he's got to learn – He's got to get his head reprogrammed a little bit, you know. That's not a lot of time. It's not a lot of time to do it. You basically have September and October. You'd have two months. Do you think that's long enough? Well, he's an exceptionally talented guy, so maybe it is. If he came in with the right head headspace, maybe. But I just I'm not I'm not getting the sense that Michigan State. Is is really out there in we got to get this guy mode, mm-hmm. you know? I just I'm not sensing that. And so if I were handicapping it, I would I would be putting my chips on Memphis. That's because I, I I think that's the other thing is at Memphis, you know, at least what I've seen of of Penny Hardaway's teams thus far, it really is roll out the ball, mm-hmm. you know. It's it's not sufficient. Now, Larry Brown being on that staff may have an influence and change some things, but I, I wonder about that, how much an effect he can have in one year. Um, I, I just <laughs> – the other thing is with that team, man, there's only one ball. <laughs> you add Imani, and you add Imani to that equation, that's a, there's a lot of guys, not just he and Jalen Duran. There's a lot of other guys back. And how that all works, I don't know. You know, and from a Michigan State perspective, I think all those considerations are there as well. You know, you've got got to think about those things. So I'm not trying to make excuses. If Michigan State got him, I'd be enthused about it, primarily because I I would assume and be convinced that Tom Izzo is convinced he can make it work. And I do think Amani Bates is a fantastic talent with great, 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 great potential. But I'm just not expecting it. Mm. Uh, so what else uh, do we got in the recruiting landscape? Well, um, the big change since the last time we did an episode, it happened right after, probably within a week after we did it, 
Um, we had talked about how it didn't seem likely that Michigan State was going to expand its pool of yeah. offers in the 22 class. And I still think that's held true, but they did expand it by one. They offered a 6'10 kid from suburban Chicago named Braden Huff. Braden Huff is a big man um, who has played AAU ball with another Michigan State recruit, Jaden Shute, the 6'5 wing, uh, on the Illinois Wolves team, which is an Under Armour uh, circuit team, a long-standing, really, really good AAU program. Um, the biggest names that have come out of it in recent years would be uh, Frank Kaminsky and Evan Turner. That's a couple pretty good names. Yeah. Um, but they, they, that's just that's a program that I think is universally respected as one that isn't just a roll-out-the-balls operation. I've seen them play before. It's been a few years. But um, they typically have, even though they've got some guys who, who get to the Big Ten level, it tends to be more guys who end up in, let's say, the Missouri Valley, but end up becoming very, very good collegiate players. Um, and it's just a well-run team. And they had a very, very good season. Right? I just talked about Amani Bates' team not doing a lot of winning. Well, the Illinois Wolves went 31-1 and this year. Oh, wow. Now, Under Armour is not the EYBL, but it's still good. It's still high-level basketball. And, and Braden Huff, you know, Michigan State was watching that program relentlessly this spring and summer because of recruiting Jaden Shute. So they got to see Braden Huff a lot. And um, again, they, they ended up offering him. He's an interesting kid. Um, I want to pull it up so I get the offers right here. He's got a bunch of impressive offers. Uh, I know Wisconsin had offered, I believe, um, I believe Illinois yeah, so he took official visits in June to Northwestern, Virginia Tech, and Vanderbilt, and unofficials to Illinois and Wisconsin. And then Michigan State offered in late July. Uh, he, I couldn't find information on this. Either it happened on Thursday or it's going to happen this coming Thursday. We're recording this on Sunday the 8th. Um, he's supposed to take an unofficial to Michigan State. Um, there is also some talk about Gonzaga showing interest, but um, that has not manifested in an offer. It kind of makes sense, though. When you see him, you see, a, oh, yeah, that's a guy you could see Gonzaga being interested in. He's exceptionally skilled. Um, again, 6'10", but they ran a lot of offense through him. He's an exceptional passer. He's got a great handle for a big kid. He can shoot. Um, so he does all those things. What he's not is Big Ten bulked up as of yet, mm -hmm. and he's not a superlative athlete. Now, on the second part, actually on both parts, I have to assume have to assume that Michigan State is not worried about it on either of those fronts. Otherwise, they wouldn't have offered it. That doesn't mm -hmm. mean they're right, but I think when you look at him, I think they list him at about 210. So it's not quite Marcus Bingham thin, but he's thin. Uh -huh. So you might wonder about projecting immediate contributions. That would probably depend in large part upon how much bulking up he can do. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but that's, you know, that remains to be seen. I'm not worried. There was some internet chatter about, oh, I don't know if he can, uh, if he's laterally, if he's quick enough laterally to play defense at the Michigan State level. I haven't seen anything on it because all there is are clips. Uh-huh. It doesn't show that. <laughs> so I, I, I have no, I don't know how anybody could assess that <laughs> based on based on highlight reels. You never see that. Mm. I, I again, Michigan State saw him probably as much as any player they've seen this year. Um, pardon me, I've got a an alarm bell going off. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, so I have to believe that they're convinced it's not a problem. You can tell him the clips. He's not, you know, he's not a, a this isn't Kevin Willis running the mm-hmm. floor. This isn't a guy who's like, wow, that's a great athlete for a big kid. But I also didn't see anything to suggest that, boy, he just really can't measure up. I don't know. You have to see, you have to see a guy put into pick and rolls, for example, to understand what his physical capabilities are. You have to. Mm-hmm. You can't just assume. I mean, I know a lot of people assume that somebody like Goran Sutan was too slow, and nothing could have been further from the truth. That guy had incredible footwork. Mm-hmm. And by the time he was a junior and a senior, he was as good an interior defender positionally as anybody in the Big Ten. He was great. You know, so I don't make those assumptions. I, in fact, I have to defer and assume that Michigan State is convinced that he'd be good enough to do those things at the level they need him to. But offensively, you can see it on the clips. I mean, this is a very, very skilled guy. Um, and so that part of it checks out. But we'll see. I'm not – they offered him. Um, I think, as with anybody, the proof is in whether they take an official. And that mm. hasn't happened yet. If that happens, then I think you can start you know, looking at it seriously. Um, I think there's also a, a school of thought that they made that offer when they realized that Terrace Reed, who took an official in the very early stages of June, I think he was there the same weekend that Holloman was actually, was not going to go Michigan State's way. And in fact, he did commit this past week to Michigan. Um, and look, I hate to say it because I don't want those clowns to get anybody ever who can play well, but Terrace Reed's good. That's a good pickup for Michigan. You know, um, he's a guy I would have liked to have seen at Michigan State, but I, I think the fact that he was, they knew he was going elsewhere, um, and also just continuing to be impressed by what they saw from Huff led to that offer. So we'll see how it checks out. You know, beyond that, Michigan State's really in on three other guys: um, Isaac Trout, the power forward, very skilled guy as well, um, from uh, Nebraska. And there seemed, you know, in an earlier stage in the summer, there was a lot of chatter about, <clears throat> excuse me, um, oh, it seems like Virginia and North Carolina have kind of edged out in front. That seems to have faded, and there seems to be, um, at least what I've picked up, a little more optimism on the Michigan State front mm. that uh, that they are really in it. There's a poster on the Spartan Mag board. Uh, Amy, who I, I reference from time to time, who is a um, is very close to uh, a guy who's involved in Trout's AAU program, and, and he says that he believes Michigan State's in there with as good a shot as anybody. 
Um, so that would be that would be a great pickup. And I don't think he and Huff are mutually exclusive. My assumption is that they're looking at Huff as a five, and and Trout is definitely a four. Mm-hmm. Um, Trout is kind of physically and in terms of tools more in the um, Joey Hauser mold uh-huh. um, than a five man. Then you've got um, I've mentioned him a couple times already, Jaden Shute, a, a tremendous, no pun intended, shooting wing uh, from Urban Chicago. Again, plays for the Illinois Wolves. Michigan State has been on him hard all spring, all summer. And the feeling has been that he's Michigan State's to lose. He hasn't pulled the trigger yet. He's already taken an official. Um, there's some talk that he might take more officials in the fall. He's a kid, and I think we mentioned this in our last episode, he got a Duke offer. Um, and there's talk that he's going to take an official there. But at least the sense I have is that Michigan State still, the feeling is they're still the likeliest landing spot for him. Um, and he'd be a really, really nice addition. I think there's a lot of a lot of feeling that he can be um, – he can give you a lot of what Michigan State got from Matt McQuaid, except maybe a little more steadily earlier, mm-hmm. if you get my drift. I mean, Matt – it really took till Matt was a junior before I think he found a game-in, game-out equilibrium. And obviously he had a great senior year. Yeah. Um, I think the expectation is with this guy, it could that could come a little earlier. But the, the size, the physical tools, the skill set is similar. Like Matt, he's got a pretty good handle and passing ability for a wing. Uh, shoots it exceptionally well. Better than average athlete. Better than you might think. Um, and he's got because of that and his size, he's got some defensive potential too. So mm-hmm. um, they really like him. And then the other name, and it, this kind of falls into the Huff category when where, you know, I need to see the official first. But um, uh, Rogers um, from uh, from Grand Blank. Grand Blank, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, boy, that kid got rave reviews for his play during the spring and summer. He played for Mean Streets uh, out of Chicago. Uh, R.J. Taylor, also from Grand Blank, a kid in the 23 class, was also on that team. Uh, Kareem Rogier is a point guard in the 22 class from um, Orchard Lake St. Mary, was on that team. But but Ty Rogers got unbelievable reviews, not because he was going out and dropping 30 a night, but because he did all the grit work, the little things. He was exceptional defensively. He rebounded. He made plays for others. You know, and he scored some too, but he wasn't a big, big scorer. That's, I think, a pretty good example of what I think he's likely to be in college. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's a guy, maybe as a junior or a senior, in the right circumstance, his scoring would evolve, you know, as happens sometimes with guys. But you're not looking at Ty Rogers to come in and be a 20-point-a-night guy. I think what he is is a guy who can be an exceptional high-level glue guy. He's got great tools physically and mindset and technique at a young age to be a great and versatile defensive player. Um, He wants to do dirty work. Uh, He's a winner. 
You know, that's a kid who mm. talk about winning. That's a kid who's won a lot. Mean Streets had a huge year. They didn't win Peach Jam, but they were in the Final Four. Mm. And they and I think they might have had the best regular season record of anybody before they got there. You know, he just won a state championship at Grand Blank in the spring before that. So he's a guy who's coming in knowing how to win, and he does the kind of things that you want in order to have a winning team that you need somebody to do. Right. Uh, and I think he could do it early. I think physically he's capable of doing the things that you would need from him at an early stage in his development. So it's not like a Braden Huff where I, I wonder how early are you getting him on the court with regularity. Mm-hmm. Ty Rogers, I think from day one, he would be in your rotation in some mm-hmm. fashion. He's going to take an official to Michigan State, so he says, in the fall. Um, we'll see how that goes. At at earlier points in his recruitment, didn't seem like Michigan State was in it at all. That's changed. Um, we just have to see whether it's changed enough that he actually becomes a Michigan State Spartan. Um, but I give him a chance, whereas for a long time I didn't. Mm-hmm. It's funny how this stuff goes, you know. You got Amani Bates committed 12 months ago. No shot in hell at Ty Rogers. You flash forward 12 months, <laughs> things are very different, and that's just that's just the world we're in. But I would also, again, emphasize something we talked about last time, though. Um, if you're a Michigan State fan and some of these recruitments don't go Michigan State's way, you got to understand what world we're in. Um, in a world where transfers and the portal are as important as they are, high school recruiting is a little less important. Doesn't mean mm-hmm. it doesn't matter, but it's less important because you always have the ability to recover from missing on a kid and going to get someone who's actually got collegiate experience. And, you know, that's that's where Michigan State's at at the five. I mean, if they're going full blast for Huff, okay, that's one thing. But if they're not, or it just turns out they don't get him, their answer is going to be in the portal. Mm-hmm. And that may be better in the end for immediate, you know, results on the court. You just have to see. But that's that's the nature of things now. It's changed. And, you know, you can lament that. But I, I say all that only to caution people to not flip out, mm. as I saw some evidence of at earlier points this year. Thank, hopefully getting Trey Holloman recruited calms a little bit of that down. Yeah. Um, uh, real quick, what are you, any thoughts on um, Aaron Henry getting, going undrafted? Uh, man, I yeah. saw the Pistons with all these picks at the back back end of the second round, and I thought they're going to pick him. They're going to get him. And yeah. God, livers, Garza. That was a weird. That was a weird. That was that was a weird one to me. Um, you know, Livers isn't apparently going to be cleared to play five on five until November. And look, I I like Isaiah Livers, mm-hmm. as opposed to a lot of other kids who've gone through that program. Um, I find him to be a likable kid. Um, he grew up a Michigan State fan. For those who don't know, um, it's and that when his recruitment rolled out, that you know it, the thought was that he was a better fit. There was a better opportunity at Michigan, and that was the year Michigan State got Jaron Jackson and Xavier Tillman. So you can't. Mm-hmm. You can't really cry about that. Um, but, the, look, the obvious strength with him is he's a shooter. And that 
is Aaron Henry's weakness, you know. So you can mm-hmm. juxtapose. I think it's the only thing Isaiah Livers does better than Aaron Henry is shooting the ball. But that's a big thing to do better, you know. Yeah. Um, I would be – this is just me, you know. I, guys who get paid to do this, you know, I, I defer. I, I get it. They've got their reasons. But Isaiah Livers has had some pretty nasty injury history in mm-hmm. the last couple of years. You know, he had two years ago, or, or was it three years ago? Um, I can't remember what was Beeline's first year or, or Beeline's last year or um, Howard's first year, but he had a he had a stretch where I think, if I remember correctly, he had some knee problems. He had a foot injury this year. This is These are not good signs, mm-hmm. you know, particularly the, the lower leg stuff. That's that's just not that's not a good indicator. Now maybe he'll be lucky and he'll go ten years without an injury, but that that to me was a big gamble. Um, but I think Aaron Henry has a great chance because he does so many things well, and I think the thing that he doesn't do as well, he's still got a chance to improve, and that's shooting. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there was a. <clears throat> There was a throwaway line. There was a guy named John Hollinger who was an early uh, media uh, figure for ES, writing for ESPN in heavy use of basketball analytics at the pro level. And then he eventually got a job with an NBA team, and he, now he's been back out of the NBA for a while. And I think he writes for The Athletic these days. Mm-hmm. And he had some line about how Henry slipped because NBA teams were concerned about um, some uh, personality stuff, some off-court stuff. I I don't know specifically what he's referring to, but I would just say this. First of all, I've, I've never been a big fan of John Hollinger's. Um, and that goes way beyond this. I just don't – I've never thought he was very good. Mm-hmm. Um Beyond that, though, it struck me as kind of an equivalent line to Jabari Parker and his recruitment talking about how, you know, he didn't want to have to compete with Brandon Dawson for a spot where it's uh, – it just it, – it, to me it read as, well, you, you've got to figure – because I think Hollinger had him rated significantly higher. So he was attempting to explain why didn't he get drafted. It struck me more as a well. You got to say something. Yeah, that's how it struck me. I've never heard. Look, I think Aaron Henry. There were some maturity issues that were evident early on, you know. But that stuff does not rise to the, in my opinion, at least, it's not the kind of thing that leads an NBA team to not draft you. Right. That stuff was more like you know he had. There was a famous blow up in the game against Bradley in the tournament with Izzo. You know, he wasn't going hard enough as a freshman. And there are bits here and there, but nothing. You're not talking about a guy who has ever been any talk about substance issues. He clearly works hard on his body and on his game. You know, I I just, I I didn't give that a great deal of credence. But as to the why, you know, look, once you get beyond the first whatever, 20 players or so in the draft, Mm. I think it becomes very difficult because at that point, 
everybody's got weaknesses. They've all got strengths, too, but everybody's got weaknesses, and Aaron had weaknesses. We know what they are, primarily shooting. To some extent, you could say on occasion, ball handling, although I do think he's got the capability of being a good ball handler. We we would see decision-making problems, right, where he would dribble into a turnover. Um, But, man, how you could watch – how you could watch Michigan State down the stretch last season and not conclude that this kid has a warrior's mentality and that he's got a lot of game is beyond me. Mm. I mean, I, I always go back to the Ohio State game where he's guarding guys like Dwayne Washington for most of it, and then when it was winning time, they switch him onto their five-man Liddell, and he shuts him <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Not many guys in the college game that can do that. And it seems to me that increasingly the ability to guard a variety of players at the NBA level is an important attribute to have on your roster. And Aaron Henry has that. I'm not saying he's going to go out and guard five men all the time in the NBA, but I think he can probably guard a lot of one through fours. Mm-hmm. Um, he got a, you know, the other thing, too, is he did get a two-way deal with Philly, which, frankly is probably exactly the same contract he would have gotten had he been drafted in the middle of the second round. You know, yeah. so I don't know how much it hurt him from that perspective. Perceptionally, clearly it does because people view being drafted as a statement, you know, and sometimes that factors into decisions. NBA teams don't like to admit they were wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still give him, you know, I think his odds for success are, are unchanged. Mm-hmm. You know, based on this, but maybe a little disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, anything else you can? No, I think that's. Think I think that's it. You know, I, I, believe it or not, we're we're within what we're probably just about creeping up on two month mark to practice starting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're it, we're right we're right on the cusp of things. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to obviously, you know, recruiting is going to unfold. A lot of this 22 stuff will start to sort out. Okay. Well, we'll leave it at that for, uh, now, uh, until next time. The final four is not on the schedule. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.